Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Continuing our series called Upside Down. We've been talking about the paradoxes of the kingdom. What's a paradox? Well, it's truth that feels wrong. That's what a paradox is. It's something that's true, but it just doesn't look quite right the first time around. It's something that almost seems to be inside out or upside down, as we've been talking about. And so we've been doing this for a few weeks. We had a break for Mother's Day. We're back into it today. And we're going to look today at foolishness is wisdom. What? Foolishness is wisdom. Really? You see, I don't know about you, but there are very few of us that enjoy appearing foolish, right? Who likes appearing foolish? Hands? We actually don't like appearing foolish. And you know what? Week by week, every time I stand on this stage, I have the opportunity of appearing foolish before you. I may misspeak, I may mispronounce, I may just say something that's just wrong. I have the opportunity of looking foolish most weeks, and yet we don't like appearing foolish. See, I grew up in the 80s. Anyone else? 80s kids out there? See, I remember the A-Team. Not the movies, the original series with Mr. T. Do you remember Mr. T? Big mohawk. Big gold chains. And his famous catch catch cry. I pity the fool. And it's true, we do. We pity the fool. This week, I saw a video on YouTube of an amateur juggler juggling knives for the first time. And caught the wrong end. You see, we pity the fool, right? We laugh at the fool, we mock the fool, we cringe at the fool. And so when we hear foolishness is wisdom, we get a little bit confused because when we look at those things, we say, no, foolishness is foolishness. I'm sorry, you juggling knives and catching the wrong end, foolishness is foolishness. And yet somehow foolishness is wisdom doesn't quite compute. And so let's today have a look about the foolishness that counts as wisdom. So I'm going to get you to grab your Bibles. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1. It will be up on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bibles with you. It says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching. There you go. Right there. He's used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. 
It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's nonsense. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like you've been in a meeting and you've got no option? You're going to offend someone and everyone else is going to think it's rubbish? You're in good company. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. You see, throughout history, God has used what we would consider to be a foolish plan. Think about it for a moment. Abraham and Sarah, nearly 100 years old, shopping in the maternity section. How foolish does that look? How about Noah? How foolish does Noah look building an ark in a desert? Noah, what are you doing? Building a boat. What's a boat? Big wooden thing. Why? It's going to rain. What's rain? You'll know it when you see it. How foolish. How about Moses? leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He's got the Israelites behind him, about a million of them. He's got the Egyptian army behind him, behind that. In front of him, he's got the Red Sea. What's he going to do? Hold up a stick. How foolish. How foolish. How about David taking on a giant with a slingshot? How foolish. How about the Israelites taking the city of Jericho? Imagine being in the strategic battle plan for that one. <laughs> All right, how are we going to take the city? We're going to walk around it silently. Okay, and then we're going to blow it up. No, then on the next day, we're going to walk around it silently. Cool, where's the catapult? No, 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 for six days, we're going to walk around it silently. How foolish! What sort of battle plan is that? How about blind Bartimaeus? Blind Bartimaeus sounds like a fool. On the side of the street. Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me! Jesus! Son of David! How foolish! How foolish! How about Mary? An unmarried teenager, pregnant. Imagine the conversations that were happening at school. No, it was the Holy Spirit. Oh, really? <laughs> really? That's what you call it nowadays, is it? <laughs> How about Jesus Christ, arms stretched wide, nailed to a cross? How foolish does he look? The one who says he's going to be the saviour of the world. Dying right there. How, how foolish. And yet, Abraham became the father of our faith. Noah built an ark, saving his family and ultimately saving us too, I might add. Moses parted the Red Sea. The Israelites took the city of Jericho. David took the head off the giant. 
Blind Bartimaeus had to change his name because he wasn't blind anymore. Mary gave birth to the saviour of the world. That saviour, Jesus, looking so foolish on the cross. But right there, the foolishness of God bettering the wisdom of this world. Why? Each of those people lived before an audience of one. Each of those people had heard from God and taken what God had said and said, hey, look, you know what? God and me, we're a majority on this. And walked out what God was calling them to do. You see, God is not looking for perfect people to further his plan. God is just looking for people who will be willing to be foolish enough to make him look good. A people who are willing to be dead enough to themselves to point the way towards Jesus. A people who know it's not really about them, but about the God who loves them. You see, God's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for us to say, hey, look, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, personally, for me, I never wanted to be a pastor. It's not like growing up as a teenager, I was like, oh, yeah, let's go work for a church. It was never in me. It wasn't my desire. I, I never wanted to preach, ever. Do you know what it took to get me on this platform? It literally took there being no one else. Back in 2016, Tony got ill on a Friday. Kath was with Tony. Our senior leaders taken out. Andre did his best, bless him. Andre did his best. He rang around and he got other preachers who were on holidays to come and preach for us to cover the platform. But there was one service. One. There was literally no one else. Andre rang me on a Saturday afternoon. Hey, Ash, you going well? You feeling good? Why? Because I need you to preach tomorrow. Say, what? Preach? I don't want to preach. But God knew what he was doing. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to look foolish. In fact, that morning, as I was sitting in my shower, there you go, there's an interesting thought. (laughs) As I was sitting in my shower weeping, oh, there we go. With my prayer, O great man of faith. God, don't let me suck. (laughs) You see, God's just looking for people who'll say yes. Willing to look a little bit foolish for him. You know, when I took a job here on staff, I had people in my world who were actively discouraging me from coming to work for a church. Really? Conversation sort of looked like this. Okay, so if you take a job at the church, does that mean you're going to take a pay cut? Yep. Hmm, okay. So if you take that pay cut and go work for the church, are you going to have to work longer hours? Yep. Hmm. Okay. Well, if you take that pay cut and work longer hours, are there going to be higher expectations on you as a pastor? Do you know what? There shouldn't be. 
Because surely the expectations of a pastor are the same expectations of a Christian, right? Got quiet. (laughs) But are there higher expectations? Yeah, there are. And what about the cruelty of people? You stand up here on a Sunday and you preach and the people that you're preaching to, trying to tell them how much God loves them, goes home and has roast pasta for lunch. Yep. But I didn't do it for any of those reasons. I did it because I want to further the cause of Christ. You see, it might be a foolish path that I've taken, but I get the opportunity to build the local church. Christ's bride. I have an opportunity of helping that bride become beautiful. The bride that Jesus himself is coming back for. You see, for me, it's all about seeing lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastor people discipled and discipled people mobilised. It's a foolish path, but who wants to come and be a fool with me? Because we're in good company, because this is what Jesus Christ himself is building in the earth today. Who wants to see God's kingdom come in Adelaide? Well, if you want to see it, then who's going to allow themselves to get a little bit undignified in the eyes of this world so that we can help bring someone who's far from God on the journey with us? You see, we often confuse information with knowledge, knowledge with wisdom. We are bombarded with information every day. As I was driving here this morning, there are signs going past giving me information. There's billboards telling me the things that I should buy. The radio is on telling me, hey, if you want to look good this season, then you really should have this accessory. We're bombarded with information. Knowledge is the information that you bring in and retain. It's what is in your head. Wisdom is the application, the correct application of that knowledge that's in your head. That's a worldly wisdom. But beyond that, the thing that trumps everything else is this godly wisdom. And this godly wisdom actually comes through relationship. It comes from a person comes from the person of Jesus himself. And it's the right application of not what's in your head, but what's in God's head. And that's what makes it godly wisdom. Godly wisdom appears foolish to this world at times because it's illogical in our heads. It comes from a higher authority. It comes from God himself. It should be prized above everything else. And so the question we're left with is, great, how do we get it? How do we get this godly wisdom that we've been talking about? Do you know what? How about you just ask? Seriously? That's it? Just, just ask? Yeah. In James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Who here's a bargain shopper? Hey, who likes a good bargain? Last week, I needed to buy a new pair of boots. Did my research, visited the store, didn't like anything I saw, jumped online. I got boots 25% off. Woohoo! 
Yes, bargain. I was also looking for a small piece of uh, equipment for my car. Did the same thing, visited the shops, worked it out, found it on eBay, 40% off. Yeah, got to love a good bargain, right? But surely wisdom has got to be the best deal ever. This wisdom that we can get from God, what does it cost you? Donuts. Nothing. A little bit of time just to ask for it. And you can access the very wisdom of God. Oh my goodness, wow. But wait, there's more. Because he doesn't just give you what he needs. The scripture says he gives generously. So whatever you need, he gives above and beyond. It's the best deal ever. But that then begs another question. If it's the best deal ever, if the deal is so good, how come we're not getting wiser? Oh. Oh. You see, James goes on in chapter 4 of the same book. And he says, you don't have because you don't ask. So we're not getting wiser. This is all available to us. All we have to do is ask, but we're not getting wiser because we don't ask. Why don't we ask? Why don't we ask? I can tell you for me personally, it usually comes down to two things. Usually. First thing, I want to be self-sufficient. I got this. I can make this work. I don't need to ask. In actual fact, it's probably worse than that. In me trying to be self-sufficient, in me trying to solve all of my own problems, I actually don't even think to ask. The second reason for me as to why I don't ask is often because I actually don't want to know the answer. You see, there's a saying, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Have you heard that one? And I think we do that with God all the time. I think it's easier to ask God for forgiveness after the fact. Hey, God, I did this. It wasn't right. Stuffed it up. Sorry, will you forgive me? And God is so good to us. He's so just. He actually looks at us and says, you know what? Yeah, you did stuff that up. Yes, you're forgiven. Absolutely. Every time. Forgiven. I'm like, wow. But often with me, there's always the next line which says, hey, but if you asked me beforehand, I could have saved you from even having to do that. You see, if you came to me first, I could give you this godly wisdom, this godly perspective. And you wouldn't need to ask for forgiveness afterwards. And so therefore, you would have saved yourself a heap of pain. So why don't I ask beforehand? Because God might say something that makes me look foolish. And I don't want to look foolish. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. You see, both of those things are rooted in pride. What stops me from asking? My pride does. Either I want to be self-sufficient and make it all work for myself, or I think I know better than God and I don't want to know the answer to the question. It's actually rooted in pride. My pride stops me from accessing the very wisdom of God that he has for me. You see, I become a loser. I become poorer for not asking him first 
You see, pride's a thief. And the person that it robs is you. It actually stops you from accessing God. So how do we deal with it? Humble yourselves and just ask. Ask God. When you humble yourself and deal with your pride, it elevates God in our thinking. God wants to bless you. He loves you. He's for you. Whatever he says, however he answers, it's always going to be for your good. Always. So let's get on the front foot. Let's humble ourselves first and let's ask him. Once you've asked God and you've got that revelation, we then need to apply it. Have you ever been in a great sermon like this one? Have you ever been in a great sermon, sitting in your chair going, hey, I hope so-and-so is here. They could really benefit by hearing what's going on up there. He's preaching well, but if so-and-so was here, then that would just connect. Just me. Just me. Because you're then sitting in the chair and you're trying to do that sneaky look around, right? I wonder if they're here. wonder if they no, can't, can't see them. Or maybe, maybe you're down the front in worship. Oh, I wonder if so-and-so's here. And so you just do that sneaky 360. Oh, oh, there they are. Good, good. God can speak to them. Every time we do that, we completely miss the point. Why? Because in that moment, we're trying to take the role of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the Holy Spirit's role to speak to us, to point out truth, to point us towards Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's role to convict me of where the things are wrong in my life. And when I try and take that role from him, I put myself on very dangerous ground. You see, the point is that whatever revelation we receive is meant to be applied to our lives first. Before we can help anyone else. Matthew 7, verse 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I don't know about you, but I find this a ridiculous scenario. It's not like, as we're walking around in our day-to-day -day life, there's this plank hanging outside of our head. It makes going through doors really difficult. As you're talking to someone and someone else calls your name over there, you whack them in the head. It's a ridiculous scenario, right? And yet that's the point. See, I think that sometimes we read scripture and we go, gee, that's stupid. Who would ever do that? Walk around with this big hunk of wood hanging out your head. But we do it all the time with our attitudes. We do it all the time with things that we need to address in our own life.
You see, in Jesus' illustration, he actually uses the same substance. Whether it's the speck in someone's eye or the plank of wood in your own, it's the same substance. It's still wood. It's still there. You notice that God didn't condemn them for having something in their eye. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have got that in your eye. You're done now. God doesn't condemn them for having something in their eye. The reality is, is that as we go through this life, there are always things, there are always circumstances and situations that get in our eyes, that rob us of vision, that stop us from seeing clearly. And Jesus wasn't saying, hey, look, it's, the, it's that you've got something in your eye that's the problem. He wasn't even condemning the man for wanting to help his brother. We live in a community here at Victory Church. We want to help each other. What Jesus is actually saying is the only way you can help is when you get revelation from God, apply it to yourself first. Because you can't help anyone else unless you've applied it to you first. You know, it's human nature to see things in others that perhaps are still in you. And we need to be able to move from human nature to godly nature. Let's not get stuck in pointing out other people's faults. Let God work in you. Let God work in them. Help each other as you can once God has worked in you. Do you know what? Personally, this week, I found this message hard to put together. It's not because it's a profound message in one sense. It's because every time I put a message together, and I know this of our preaching team in general, every time I put a message together, God speaks to me on this first. And so as I was putting this message together this week, knowing that God would work through it, the first thing he did was work through me. The first thing he did was go, hey, Ash, Tap on the shoulder. Hey, got a plank in your eye? No, God, I wouldn't have a plank in my eye. Really? How about this situation? So I'm putting together a message going, oh, I need to catch up with them. Because there have been times where I haven't got this right. And I need to apply to myself first. Once we've got that revelation from God, we apply it into our own life. Then we act. And you know what? This is quite possibly the hardest step. Why? Because all of a sudden, this revelation moves from being internal to being external. God has spoken to me. I've applied it into my life, but now I need to do something with it. And all of a sudden, we're acting, not just thinking. And that's where it takes faith. It takes an element of risk, if you like. Because as you get that revelation and you apply it to your own life, now we're ready to step out into it. Now we need God to come through for us. There's an element of risk. There's a mental battle that occurs 
Am I going to be obedient to what God is calling, to me, calling me to? Or am I going to let the possibility of me looking foolish stop what God is wanting us to do? Do you know what? Let's go back to that list of people, the heroes of our faith that I was talking about before. Every single one of them needed to act. Abraham and Sarah had the promise of a child coming. So Abraham, with a glint in his eye, looked at his wife, 100 years old, saying, Hey, babe, something we got to do if this promise is coming to fruition. Noah, hey, build an ark. What's an ark? I don't know, but I'm going to need a lot of wood. Going to need a lot of nails. I've got to go collect some materials. David had to step out onto the battlefield to face the giant. Jesus Christ, the scripture says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. What has God called you to, but is currently in a holding pattern in your life? He might have spoken to you. He might have given you that revelation. You might have applied it into your life going, yeah, I need to do that. But where in your life have you not yet stepped out and acted on that? Andrew Denton was with us a couple of weeks ago at our all-in night. He was talking about financing the kingdom. He had this revelation. It sat right in his spirit. But there came a point where he still needed to write the check. What is it for you? Is it serving? Hey, the church should do this. Yeah, maybe we should. If God's given you that revelation and it's worked in your heart, maybe it's time to act. What about chatting with someone about Jesus? If God's given you that revelation, it's working in your heart. It's time to act. What is your next step? Because without action, there's no traction. You can sit in a car, but you're not going to go anywhere until you act. Without action, there's no traction. In Psalm 37, verses 23 to 25, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I've been in church for a fair while. I remember singing a, a song about this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. You've got to love old English, right? He delighteth. Really? For me, I actually really like this translation. It says, the Lord makes firm the steps, the one who delights in him. For me, I see this as, you know what? I've heard from God. I've applied it into my life. I need to act. I need to take a step. But that step is risky and I don't know if that ground is going to hold me. But God makes firm the step. And now that I'm here, I've got to go again, but the ground doesn't look quite right. I don't know if it's firm. I don't know if it's going to hold me. But God will make firm the step. You see, whatever your next step is, can I encourage you? Take it. Why? Because God will make firm that step for you. As the rest of the band comes, you know what? Foolishness is wisdom, but only if it's the foolishness of God's plan. 
we access godly wisdom through asking, applying, and then acting. You know what? I could put it a different way. We need revelation from God to become motivation in our lives before it can become activation to help this world. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.